Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flamed, flames, flames on the side of my face. Now I have a machine gun. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren. Who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? We are the knights who say... No, not the knights who say... The same... Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. But I know you don't want to be here forever. You know, I got things I want to do in my life. Wayne. You got red on you. Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bomb in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. And he will bind them with ancient logics. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We take movies that have no business being analyzed in an academic way, and we do it anyway. And this week's film is... The interview. And uh, it caused some controversy. And, uh, yeah. I, just a smidge. I would say There's so. a little bit. Uh, people who don't even like movies have heard of this movie. Yes. Uh, true. And so it's got some, it's got some waves. It made some waves. And so we're going to talk about that and provide some analysis. But before we do that, we need to begin with some introductions of the disembodied voices that you're hearing. Across the table, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I assure you that I do not have stank dick. Thank you very much, Mr. Stewart. Uh, across the table at the head, if you would, ma'am. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and this is 2014. Women are smart now. <laughs> As of now. Thank you very much. To my left, sir, if you would. I am Arthur Gordon, and let's just say I'm going to give him a little something extra with my hand. <laughs> my name is Dustin Sells, and you want to know what's more destructive than a nuclear bomb? Words and podcasts. And so I'm very, very happy. It's a dog. It's a big dog. It's like an <laughs> orange and black stripy dog. <laughs> <laughs> there are good lines. There are moments in this movie that you might laugh aloud. But we are going to now uh, give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down review. Dear listener, we need to warn you, though. This ain't no review show. It's an analysis show. And that means that we will be spoiling all the spoilerific spoiler riches in which the Eagles finally come and rescue Sam and Frodo at the end of this film. But we'll get to more of that. Accurate later mm-hmm. and so uh we will be doing the spoilage then but up until that point um you are uh, in a spoiler free zone uh let's start with a synopsis from the voice of the cinema and then we'll go into those quick reviews if you would sir dave skylark and producer aaron rapaport run the celebrity tabloid show skylark tonight when they land an interview with a surprise fan north korean dictator kim jong-un they are recruited by the CIA to turn their trip to Pyongyang <laughs> into an assassination oh, mission. That's a really long plot summary. I think that that was the written, longest plot summary. Written by Sony Pictures Entertainment. That is probably the longest synopsis we've ever done on the show. Yeah, it's like three sentences. I mean, that is the whole plot, though, so... Yeah, pretty much. The entirety thereof. So there you go. Now you know what happens in the movie. Now you're going to know what we think about the movie. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? It was a... 
it was a adult comedy. I mean, that's kind of the the thing you got to keep in mind. Like this is geared towards adults, and there's going to be jokes in there that are going to be considered adult humor, <laughs> and I'm putting that in kind of capitalized, like, bold, underlined, and with like they know it's adult humor, and so they're it's really kind of forced on us. Like lots of dick gags, lots of dick jokes, lots of vag jokes. Like we get the all the full body part treatment pretty much. I'd say some of the funnier parts of the movie were not related to body parts at all, which is like the Eminem bit mm-hmm. at the very beginning. <laughs> Holy brilliant. Shit. That is Welcome to the Slim Shady Mecca, Rebecca. It's the village in New York, right next to the Tribeca. That's my sector, homosexual dissector. Come again, rewind selector. I said nice rectum. I had a bisectomy, Hector. So you can't get pregnant if I bisexually wreck ya. Hannibal Lecter in the guy sex, and I bet you I tantalize you. And in less than five seconds, I get ya. Hey, oh my god. Here's a round of applause for Marshall Mathers, because that is so funny. So, so funny. Great, great cameo. And I just, I'm going to spoil that moment right now. Eminem, like, announcing he's gay on, on national television is probably the funniest thing that he has ever done. And, man, and Franco's reaction, like, in the, the way they're reacting the sound booth and then Ben Schwartz. I'm, oh, my God. That's, that's probably, I'm with you, Alex. I think that might be the funniest moment of the whole film. It is funny. All the rest of the stuff that's funny that Alex is talking about, this sort of adult humor is really more adolescent humor. Exactly. Yes. Like, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing with those Adult movies. in quotes. Uh, like, yeah. adult in quotes, exactly. Like, I saw, I remember in high school seeing Knocked Up. Of course, I was a lot more sheltered then. But I also remember being the same, similarly aghast and like, huh, uh, and then like reluctantly laughing at some of these jokes that are conveyed. Um, otherwise, the, I mean, the plot is a comedy, a comic plot, so they're not really relying a lot on the strength and um, feasibility of some plot elements. Um, uh, some of the stuff I had had to call into question about the preparedness of these supposed CIA intelligence agents um, to carry out some missions. Um, but overall, I mean, it's a it's a good comedy, but I know there are better ones in Franco. Um, it's repertoire for sure. So I would give this. Three ricin handshaking strips out of five. Very good, very good. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? I'm kind of with Alex. I mean, yeah, it's it's fine. Um, Franco really feels off in this to me. Yes, um, very forced. And I like Franco a lot, but yeah, he just seems off his game, and I don't really know what it is exactly. Um, Rogan here is the straight man's kind of great, because that's not usually a role he gets to play. Um, he usually is the big, loud one. Um, and him as the straight man in this film, I, I really enjoyed. I thought he was really, really funny. Um, Randall Park, holy shit, is a revelation in this movie. I mean, he is so funny and, and humanizes a, a very unlikable person in real life and, and really does a good job of humanizing him. And, yeah, he's, he's funny. His, his delivery is good. His timing's good. But really, I think the most important thing about Randall Park's uh, role in this is he does a good job of making it believable that Franco would find himself really kind of enamored with Kim Jong-un. Mm. Um, so Randall Park's revelation in this, Lizzie Kaplan is totally wasted. Um, doesn't really get much to do. She has a couple of really funny moments at the beginning. And then is just kind of, you know, cast aside, which is a real, a real bummer for me. Uh, I'm a big fan of Lizzie Kaplan. Um, so that, that kind of was, was a shame. But I'm with everybody here. Uh, or, you know, Dustin hasn't given a formal... Uh, you know, but I've read his letter box rating. On well, it, I mean, so. just as as you were talking, he was talking, and I'm kind of with both of you guys. It is, 
I don't know. This thing doesn't normally rub me the wrong way. Like, I liked Neighbors. I like This is the End. I, I like, you know, a very adolescently graphic comedy. Um, and, Step Brothers. Yeah, and for some reason, this just didn't do it for me. Uh, it's fine. It's funny. I laughed a lot. But I don't, like, have the urge to rewatch this like I do other. Like, you know, there are other comedies from the, this team that I would watch right now. And I don't really think I would watch the interview right now. And I don't, I don't really know why. Uh, I might need to revisit it at a later date, but yeah, it's something about it just kind of holds me at arm's length. And yeah. So I give it uh, six anally smuggled uh, drone deliveries out of a possible 12. Oh, man. <laughs> Sympathy pains. Thank you very much, Mr. Dolster. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your quick thoughts on the film? I'm probably just going to echo everybody else at the table so far. I, I thought it was fun. It's a good group movie. It's a good party movie. Yeah, hanging group out. watch. That was what happened with this and us, and that made it probably even more enjoyable. Yeah, and so there's something to be done there, I think. And so if you're looking for something just to turn on, it's it's good, I think. Uh, I'll probably – I may revisit it once just for uh, – uh, because my wife wanted to see it, so I'll probably revisit it just for that. But I, this isn't a movie or a comedy that I'd go off on my own to watch again, I don't think. And – it is very adolescent with that adult, quote-unquote, adult humor. Uh, and I do think that they present it a lot better than uh, Seth MacFarlane's A Million Ways to Die in the West from earlier in this year. And so I think there's something to be said in, with that. But Dalton is also correct because there were better adult comedies out this year with Neighbors and 22 Jump Street uh, starring Seth Rogen. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, let's say, uh, let's say four... Uh, Orange black striped dogs <laughs> out of seven and a half. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, what I would want to say is this. You know, one of my rules for comedies is that if I laugh six times, then it's funny enough. And by watching it in the communal watching, I think I laughed a lot more than I would if I were watching it by myself. I was watching Dustin's cringe face while he was giggling, but his cringy face. It was hilarious to watch him watch the movie. Yeah, uh, and so I don't know that I... I, I think I probably would have laughed some, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have laughed six times out loud, I think, watching the movie on my own. And so I, I'm more inclined to say that it probably doesn't really work on that level as a result of that. And so um, I, I'm kind of disinclined to, to say a lot of good things about it. It is a lot of fun. It is interesting. Sort. Of, I guess there is sort of the satirical edge to it that's politically interesting, you know, the assassination of Kim mm-hmm. Jong-un and, uh, and whatnot. And, of course, the intrigue that surrounds the film makes it more interesting than probably what it actually is. It, it's the same thing that you could say about other films that were banned or protested or, you know, those sort of things. That, that, that's sort of that uh, hoopla that surrounds it. Well, I mean, yeah, one of my first thoughts when we we were approaching being done with watching the film together was, this is it? Yeah. Was everybody so mad about? Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So um, I give the movie probably, I don't know, three Kim Jong-un filled uh, helicopters exploding out of a possible 12. Isn't that spoilery? I don't know. Nah. That was that, that's the one thing that was leaked all over the internet. So. Oh, I didn't hear that one. If you actually care about spoilers for the interview. I figured that, he, like, I always just went into it assuming, he, considering the movie is an assassination plot, that he's going to die, mm-hmm. but... There you go. Well, dear listener, if you haven't guessed, we're in a spoiler territory now, and we are moving right along into our analysis is what we're here to do. And so thank you, thank you for those quick reviews. Let's bring about some analysis at this point. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? You know, I actually think there is... Uh, quite a bit going on in this film, really. Um, and one of the things that I kind of keyed in on um, 
was this idea that the world is much more complicated than we want to give it credit for. Um, life is more simpler when we can draw very clear. I'll back up. Yeah. Sorry. You're fine. Collapsed. I, well, I can't tell if it actually picked it up or not. Yeah. Do it again. You know, life is, is much simpler when we, we can draw very clearly delineated lines of good and evil. And we can say, these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. This is what's right. And this is what's wrong. Um, and a lot of the time, politically, we look to North Korea as, well, that's the bad one. That's the bad one. Axis of evil. They're pure crazy, uh, and they cannot be reasoned with. And what I think the interview does a really good job of is humanizing Kim Jong-un and saying he's not a monster. He's just a really damaged person with a lot of daddy issues and um, is just still trying to convince his father to love him. And I think that's really valuable. Um to, to do <laughs> it's so funny to me to watch this film and when we were watching it, i kept thinking about this was there's really something going on with his character arc and it was kind of moving uh more than once for me um was the character arc of kim jong-un and and like diving into his psyche and and him and uh dave or not dave franco although mm, dave franco's great too mm-hmm. uh james franco and, and his you know kind of the, their bonding and then the falling out that they have it's almost like the the um the structure that all buddy pairing movies have, uh, and him and James Franco, or, uh, him and um, Seth Rogen's characters have this, you know, oh, we're such great friends, and then they have a falling out and they get back together. And he almost has that with Kim Jong-un as well. There's like a parallel friendship arc happening uh, along with the one he has with, with Seth Rogen. But I say all that to say this. What the interview does is valuable because it forces us to recognize that Sometimes the world is a lot more complicated than we want it to be. You know, it's easier to think that Kim, Kim Jong-un's just a bastard, uh, and he's just starving his own people out, and he's just a crazy person. Um, the more hard thing to do, and, and probably the thing that might be a little bit more close to the truth, is that he really has a lot of severe emotional issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and got put in charge of a country when he was, you know, in his early 30s. And was just like, okay, here you go. It's all yours. Yeah, yeah. Not that the other things aren't true, but they're true and. Exactly. Right. Well, and that's the other thing the interview does is it does say, hey, uh, we know this is a comedy, but these people really are starving to death. Yeah. Um, and they really are, you know, being herded into, you know, quasi-concentration camps. Um, so, you know, maybe uh, watch a documentary about North Korea after you watch this. But um, enjoy the interview, kids. I, I did, and um, I actually think there's something there. I also think there's something there about... Uh, non-violence as a mm-hmm. that should be your first resort and i also think there's something there about uh the flexibility of journalistic integrity so enjoy that film kids thank you very much mr dalton stewart miss alexander bohannon what analysis bring you a uh, quick comment after i've talked to a couple of different friends that have watched the interview mm-hmm. and then learned about you know more of the plight about north korea because i don't know if a lot of americans really think about those oppressed peoples um and they're like oh my god i had to go and watch all these documentaries about north korea and these are people i wouldn't expect to hear this from so it's just it's it is an interesting tool and an interesting um force for good i think before on the show we've discussed like the power of film Mm -hmm. and, and as a critiquing a tool to critique and um didn't someone say that they like south korea sent a bunch of copies of these yes. over the border just yeah like, airdrop them in That's flash funny. drives and dvds just hilarious airdrop them all over north korea apparently and that's pretty important um 
yeah, I think it's interesting to see that that's what happened in the end of the movie, humanizing this man, and that's such a kind of a the humanizing thing will... You're telling me my man doesn't pee or poop. (laughs) (laughs) Humanizing him to the people, and that's kind of what they did in real life. It's kind of a meta thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's not my analysis. My analysis is is an interesting comparison between the plot of this film and typically American foreign policy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, okay, here's the plot of the film, and apply this to pretty much any conflict we've ever entered into, um, military uh, forces being involved. Um, a threat is made to America or an ally. We then kind of construct some interesting plot to solve the problem, but things get really, really, really cocked up very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then the way we end it is basically using the nuclear option. Um, and that's kind of... I think that's American foreign policy in a nutshell. We're not necessarily invited to the party. We invite ourselves along because we need to fix a problem that we perceive is there. There, pro- there is a problem, you yeah. know, Hitler and whatever perceived threat, other threats we've we've gotten from other countries. Well, World War One's a better example because it's a little bit more gray. And we're yeah. just like, hey, um, we know it's almost over. The but, Lusitania. Uh, yeah, um, we may or may not have had a boat blow up. Um, Civilian boat. Yeah, can, can we come? Yeah, and and we join the party, and we like to get involved, and maybe our plots are subtle, and maybe they're not. I think a good example of this happening is definitely the um, weapons of mass destruction. We just like to use any excuse to get involved, Mm -hmm. and then we get involved, and then we just mess everything up for 10, 20 years. Mm. And, And it's an interesting critique that this film ends happily, you know, there's the whole thing. The CIA's original plot was, okay, the handshake, handshake and the strip, but that one um, North Korean a, a female official, whose name escapes me, she said, well, they would just replace him with another individual just like just him. Just like him, yeah. Um, the thing you need to do is start a revolution. And, and so that does occur after you humanize Kim Jong-un. But the thing is, I don't think American policy does that, though. It's like we get rid of these dictators, you know, we think we save the day, Mm -hmm. which is usually like our our favorite thing, call to arms. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, what actually gets solved besides a huge loss of human life and um, the problem, the underlying root cause of the issue, you know, the suppression of these peoples isn't ever actually addressed and helped or solved we just think that just because we shoot a rocket launcher at a a helicopter we're going to solve everyone's problems and in a movie fictionalized it may but in real life it doesn't excellent excellent i really like that reading a lot alex have you alex uh have you ever felt like a plastic bag Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love Circle's story about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I always kept thinking, you know, I know it's a Katy Perry song, but I always go right to movies. American stuff. Beauty. American Beauty. Yeah, like, me too. I'll see the most beautiful thing ever. Yeah. You know, oh, so funny. Uh, so I want to offer two bits of reading um, that are completely unrelated. The first being um, sort of the Room 237 reading, but it actually is there and intentionally there, and it's a little bit of adaptation theory because the interview is fully uh, James Franco's adaptation of Lord of the Rings the entire trilogy yeah and i mean it's it's over the top you know he's easily making um references throughout you know you come with me to mordor you know and those sort of things that you know referring to going to north korea
obviously mm-hmm. Kim Jong Un is something of a Sauron the character. Sam to my Frodo. Yeah, yeah, that. And, and, and oh, yeah, they bring it up several times. And, but there's these other little pieces that are a little more subtle. Um, and I would mention, you know, sort of the middle piece that is sort of subtle and sort of not subtle is the gnawing off of fingers that happens during a final battle. <laughs> About it's, three times. It, once you're thinking, so many fingers. It must be Lord of the Rings, then it's kind of obvious, but if you don't happen to have that particular thought clicking in your mind, you may or may not n- nail that and one. And then Franco even says, you are Frodo-like, so they fully call out the finger biting. Yeah, so it, it's there. But there is this idea of Frodo don't use the ring, in this case the ring being the, the strip, mm-hmm. that you've got to keep it secret, you've got to keep it safe, and and uh, you've got to keep it away from, obviously, the orc guards of Mordor, uh, who are the two guys who have um, been watching Kim Jong-un since he was young. And, uh, of course, they go very badly because they mistake it for chewing gum, and uh, which is funny and hilarious. But it is definitely this thing, and it's, ring- and it's wholly evil, it's wholly corrupting, and it's not something that we should be jumping on. And I think there is sort of this commentary on violence, which I may mention here, uh, again, before we get much further into the analysis, there's also this moment of realization for uh, James Franco's character when he recognizes finally that uh, Kim Jong Un has been has been uh, lying to him. He's Dude, been honey dicking him. Uh, yeah, he's been, well, he's been pulling the Smeagol thing, yeah. saying he's on his side, but really he's not. Saying that things are better than they are, and they're really not. And there's this moment where he's crushing these oranges, and the dust from the oranges are coming. And I think of Sam realizing that the Lembus had been thrown away by Smeagol the whole time, and that this is the evidence he finally needed to realize that his you know, master's been betrayed, and I need to go back into Mordor, and I need to you know fight Shelob, uh, and so he sort of finds his courage again, and uh, because the Frodo character really is mostly Seth Rogen's character mm-hmm. uh, throughout. <clears throat> And so that's that's going on. And finally, uh, James Franco again is shot by Kim Jong Un. And there's a whole story that early on in the, in the in the in the movie where they do sort of the total recall thing, where the implanted doctor tells exactly everything that's going to happen. That's exactly what happens when James Franco sort of makes up this possible scheme to, that would work better. And, and like, it happens. This is and it absolutely happens. It's all ridiculous. There's no way it would all work. But he secretly has on a bulletproof vest, which is mithril, right? Doesn't he say myth? Does he say mithril? Or did we just I, all say it? I think I, think I he... screamed Mithril. I don't oh, know if he said it or not. Okay. Because thought... we all said it, yeah. yeah. We were all dying. I thought he might have. Anyway. But yeah, there's more to this Hobbit than what meets the eye, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have all of these sort of bits of adaptation working on. And you know, it's not really lazy screenwriting to do that. Mm-mm. But there is there is a way that you can structure a story uh, based on other stories, whether you directly reference them or not. I think particularly of the Star Trek uh, reboot, which is uh, in many ways an adaptation of uh, Star Wars A New Hope, which is part of the reason why J.J. Uh, Abrams got the helm of the new Star Wars Episode Eight that's going to, or Episode Seven that's coming out very, very soon. And, uh, Guys, it's coming out in less than 365 days. Good times will be had by all. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, there's very much, you know, Luke looking on the two sons of Tatooine moments and, and all of that sort of stuff that's going on. There's very much Obi-Wan Kenobi moments and all of this uh, throughout the story. And, and and so he, much more loosely, he is adapting the same sort of structure and frameworking. Again, to think of the Lord of the Rings. Fellowship of the Ring and the the plot structure of The Hobbit, the very first story, An Unexpected Journey, is uh, uh, an unexpected length of journey, um, is... 
almost identical. You, you have the, the same sort of points where you hit Rivendell, the same points when you go into the mountains, the same points when you come back out of the mountains, a great tragedy and a suffering, and sort of then this sort of uh, uh, re-embrace and uh, um, recommitment to the mission that happens at the end, which is, you know, that moment when Aragorn says we're going to hunt some orc, and when Thorin says I've never been more wrong. It's They're both the same moment. And you, so you can sort of see how stories can, t- can make use of other stories and other structures. In this case, it's the same screenwriter doing this. But it, it, it sort of shows uh, the um, versatility. It sort of shows the robustness of a, of a good story structure and that you can sort of implant it to any time, any place, similar characters, dissimilar characters, uh, similar genres, or do something altogether different with it. And by so doing, you know, you could actually encounter really interesting and a lot of fun and something that's pretty quite exciting um so that's the first thing i'd want to say uh regarding all of that the next thing i want to say is sort of this commentary on violence and frodo don't wear the ring and as alex mentioned as dalton mentioned already there is something going on in this film in which it is saying that violence is not going to be the answer that revolution really is the answer that you're gonna have to do something we're gonna change the hearts and minds of people um so what you get is more of the same if you assassinate these characters you're not going to actually get any way out of it and so what you've got to do is something a lot more difficult what you've got to do is something a lot more challenging which is organize together as human beings and say we're not going to have this any longer we want something different we're going to have to take the role of the situation it's in paris france in 1968 and say you know we're going to all be reasonable and demand the impossible and do something about this Thank you, dear co-host, for that excellent bit of reading on uh, this not-so-excellent film. We must make our final verdict now. Now we must choose Shelf or Trash, else or instead. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Stream it with friends. It's, it's on Netflix already. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So good timing, it. actually. dropped like yesterday. Yeah, so go check it out and watch this, listen to this episode. That's what we do. Um, I would say either instead or else, uh, buddy comedies. All of them. I'd say uh, Pineapple Express would go well here. I think it works a lot better here. Um, Go back and watch 22 Jump Street from earlier in 2014 as well. I think that pairs well. I would also say, I don't know, all the buddy comedies. I, I don't really know. This is just an adult comedy, so anything in that vein. I think watch Wolf of Wall Street with this. What? It's hilarious because I just started watching Wolf of Wall Street and Heath and I realized it was three hours and we're like, okay, we're going to have to break this into two parts. The best three hours of your life. How did you not know it was three run hours? Run with well, me, Jordy. Run with me. We were Fucking just trying run. to we're trying to pick, pick a like a date movie and it's like, oh yeah, we want to <laughs> do Wolf of Wall Street. Anyway. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Shelf. Because I'm not going to let a totalitarian dictatorship tell me what the fuck I can and can't watch. (laughs) This is the most American thing you can do is watch the interview. Regardless of whether or not you like it, it is your civic duty to watch this film. Because somebody other than an American told you you can't. (laughs) And if anybody's going to censor us, it's going to be ourselves. 
Damn it. <laughs> so Dalton is suggesting if this is not a film that you would like, go ahead and buy it, keep it in the cellophane, and just put it on the shelf. Exactly. Just to prove a point. <laughs> You're damn right. We so, will not be silenced. We will not go quietly into that good night. Justice will be served and the battle will rage. This big dog will fight when you rattle his cage. And you'll be sorry that you mess with the U.S. of A. Cause we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. So what else should we watch, Dalton? Uh, this is the end because it's a lot, lot funnier. <laughs> it's infinitely better, actually. Um, and it has, you know, a lot of the same cast. Do that. Do that. It's way better. And, you know, it just came out like a year or two ago. I mean, they they literally finished This is the End and started working on the interview. And um, I guess maybe they used all of their good juice on This is the End because there's just something not quite there for the interview. And it's kind of a bummer. Um, and I don't know what it is. Also, you should watch Inglorious Bastards because that's another fictional telling of that a... That is a great suggestion. Yeah. Watch mm-hmm. another fictional assassination of a real person. Very good, very good. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, shelf or trash, else or instead. Man, I feel like not a patriot if I can't shelf it after that critique, but um, I would say put it on your digital shelf. So, I mean, there's plenty of ways to watch it online. Um, I don't know if it's necessary to buy a copy of it because, I mean, it is it is everywhere. It's probably going to live on Netflix for the rest of time. So if you don't like dropping cash on physical hard copies, just stream it. But if you're a collection guy, and I think I'm at the table with mostly collection. No, oh, you guys have been to my apartment. I, I'm, I'm the collector. You're the collector. Okay, I know I, you. I, I there are some things, people that, but... like, have the the thing for, like, yeah, I no. must have this hard no. copy. My, my apartment looks one of those like it people... might belong to a serial killer. <laughs> As we saw la- Okay, sorry. Anyway, that was spoilers for... <laughs> okay, um... <clears throat> If you are someone that likes to own movies, own it. If you want to just watch it, stream it. Okay. So my else's would... Gosh, you guys stole all the good ones. Uh, Pineapple Express was the first thing that came to my mind because we, again, have Rogan playing more of a straight man, Franco playing the funny man. Franco is much funnier in that movie. Mm, and mm-hmm. Rogan is... I mean, Rogan has a like comparable performance in each, but um, I think that just that movie is, in general, better... Um, let's see, 22 Jump Street. Yeah, that's another good one in terms of adult, um, quote, adult comedies. And gosh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on any more. I mean, you guys, those are really good suggestions and glorious bastards. Definitely. Um, any of those buddy cop dramas, political comedies. Very good, very good. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. What I am going to say is trash. I, regardless of what Mr. Stewart has said, and that it is an empty gesture that will serve no purpose other than helping lining the pockets of Sony Pictures, which has no political engagement whatsoever, and so it's an empty political act, and therefore unhelpful and uh, unnecessary. So trash the movie. It's not worth your time. It's not funny. See something else funnier. And then also watch the 2013 Best Documentary nominee, The Square. And uh, think about what would be motivated and active in your life in a way that actually might change things, that would make things better and make things different. And uh, take back the power. Our governments should not be afraid. Uh, People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their citizens. And uh, the square acts out that bit of statement from V for Vendetta in a way that I think is powerful and uh, more effective. Do you have anything to say, sir? 
un-American. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll take that. It's not the first time I've been accused of that. So, thank you very much, dear co why do you Why do you hate our freedom, Dustin? <laughs> I like freedom. In fact, that's the He's point. He's going to try and take our guns next. What, what I, I, he can have those. Obama can't take my guns. What I'm gonna I have su- a friend with a shirt that says on it. What I'm going to suggest is get letting Sony take your money doesn't make you more free. No, it definitely doesn't. <laughs> but you should show Sony that they were a bunch of pussies for not putting this movie out there anyway. <laughs> And they finally did, but in very, very, very limited form. Again, I don't think it makes anybody more free. Moving right along, um, we are going to now get some opportunity for you to think and say what you want to think about what we've said so far and give us feedback via those magical means of social media that we all know. Mr. Arthur Gordon, you know anything about that stuff? First and foremost, you can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up and you know, send us some emails. Don't send any spam, though, because we don't want that nonsense. Also, you can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. One word. Uh, we have no feedback coming in. We had some likes and things like that, shares, uh, but no uh, dialogue, which is disheartening. So please talk to us because we're very, very lonely in our cave. We're needy. We need you just like that clingy girlfriend that you may or may not have dated. You, we just need you. Talk to us. Talk to me, please. Save me. <laughs> wow, you did that entirely too well, Alex. It's a little disturbing. Thank you very much, both of you. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media means by which a conversation might be held? Our beloved leader is wise. He's gentle, kind, and strong. We wish him joy. We wish him peace. We wish him love. And the one thing in our time we wish more than this is for Dustin to explode in a ball of fiery hell. May Dustin be forced to starve and beg and ravaged by disease. May Dustin be helpless, poor, and sad and cold. He is arrogant and fat. He is stupid. He is evil. May he drown in his own blood and feces. Die, Dustin, die. Oh, please, won't you die? It would fill my tiny heart with joy. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Do we have any feedback coming in from the Twitter, Mr. Dalton Stewart? We do, actually. As you may or may not remember, uh, last week, week before last, I asked listeners to say, hey, uh, you know, what, what are some marathons you want? What are some movies you'd like for us to watch? Uh, we got a suggestion from Brigham Cole, and I believe he, he mentioned that he had suggested this before, but I don't remember. Uh, but he is once again saying we should do a, a month of musical movies or musically themed movies, such as Pink Floyd's The Wall, Sweeney Todd, and Across the Universe. Um, yeah, maybe. Someday. Yeah, I don't... I don't really like musicals, but I actually kind of like that idea. Those are in the queue behind uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, so we'll get to it. Eventually. So, yeah, that's how, that's how effective that promise is. We'll get to it tomorrow. Uh, we also, because we are going to be doing a uh, top five of 2014 this week, since, uh, you know, we closed out this month of movies we had never seen with a 2014 release. We do what we do at the end of every January and give you our uh, top picks for our favorite films from the preceding year. So two of our um, former co-hosts... Uh, wrote in to me uh, what their top five for the year was. So first, we're going to hear from Nick Sanford, friend and filmmaker, um, with his top five films of 2014. Uh, and those were Wild, Nightcrawler, Inherent Vice, Godzilla, and Interstellar. Excellent. Excellent. Very... I'm assuming in five to f- one. Five to one, yes. He also gave shout-outs to Boyhood and Obvious Child. Excellent, excellent. And we also have Miss Thurkelson's. Uh, we also have Miss Thurkelson's, and Miss Thurkelson's are uh, number five, Sin City 2, A Dame to Kill For. I'm pretty sure she's the only one in the world with that on her top five list, but, uh, you know, interesting pick. Quentin Tarantino may surprise you. 
He's always got oddball. That's pop, true. That's true. Uh, number four, Adam Wingard's The Guest, which I talked about a few weeks ago on the show and is an honorable mention for me. Very nearly made it into uh, my top picks for the year. Uh, number three was Catching Fire Part 2. Number two was Nightcrawler. And number one was Gone Girl. So those are Kirsten Thurkelson's top five picks for 2014. Excellent, excellent. I do want to mention one other thing coming in feedback-wise. Of course, you can leave us feedback at iTunes, Stitcher, and also the Podbean site, regular and proper. But we did have an iTunes review that was amended, and they someone said something about our sound qualities not being so great when we're using sort of an ambient room mic, which we have used recently uh, because of Mr. Arthur Gordon's absence. But um, the, the giant squid writes, after a five-star review, Guys, I have to edit my old review. Listening now that you record with what I assume is fantastic equipment makes the experience of listening to this podcast 110% wonderful. Please, 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 please keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Giant Squid. It is Matt. What, what, what was the adjective that the Giant Squid used? Uh, it is what? To describe our equipment? Um, it is fantastic. Uh, yes, it is fantastic. And stolen. Yes, both of those things. And actually, the stolenness is part of what increases its fantastic We've got nature. a hot mic. It's a hot mic. Literally. Get it? Double entendre. Give me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Outstanding. Well, guys, it is time to play the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> the game, as you all know has already been announced because we're going to be playing this game of naming our top five films of the year. That's right. Top five films of the year. Brought to you by The Interview. The Interview. Probably not on anyone's top five. This is why it's not brought to you by The Interview. Well, <laughs> because oh, close it enough. It didn't bring us to any of the top fives. Yeah, but we were like, we need to do a 2014 movie so we can do our top five in 2014, <laughs> and this was a good pick. The one that did the thing. So there you go. We're going to go in five, four, three, two, one. Order of our top five films of 2014. 14. So we begin with our number fives. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what's the number five film of the year? Well, I am going to defend Mr. Kevin Smith. Uh, I'm going to say Tusk at my number five. Uh, now, Tusk was pretty generally critically panned. However, I I think there was something very bizarre and beautiful and strange going on, and I, I think it's a very interesting film. Uh, certainly very different from other stuff he's done um but i enjoy it and i think it's just a unique uh page in his oeuvre of films uh and i think it's it's i don't know it's just i don't even know how to describe it but i think it's something there all right well i haven't seen it so i have nothing to say about tusk do you have any no i have not seen it and i don't really have much interest in it but honestly I, well i appreciate your recommendation arthur and your loan of the dvd and i intend to catch it very very soon uh mr donald stewart what's your number five film of 2014 my number five pick is blue ruin um which is a a little tiny 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 film um that was primarily kickstarted. i've talked about it on the show before um i cannot more strongly recommend it it is streaming on netflix right now um, do yourself a favor, support independent cinema, and, you know, it's not an indie film in the way of, you know, Dallas Buyers Club starring Jared Leto and Matthew McConaughey is an indie film. Yeah. Um, just because something's made outside of the studio system, that doesn't really necessarily mean indie anymore. Yeah. Especially when eventually they get picked up by, you know, the indie distribution arm of Paramount or whatever. Yeah. Blue Ruin is self-made, self-financed, uh, you know, self-distributed. I mean, it, it is from the ground up, one, an amazing first feature. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I can't think of 
oh, it's just, wow, it kind of blows your face off that somebody making their very first feature debut with that kind of budget made that good of a movie. Um, again, I don't want to tell you that much about it because I feel like a lot of the joy I had with this movie was going in fairly blind. Um, but it, it's essentially, um, what if somebody who was not prepared to go on a quest for revenge went on a quest for revenge and subverts that kind of that revenge thriller genre throughout? And um, it's really good. I couldn't more highly recommend it to you. It's a movie that I have seen, and uh, I do like it a lot. And I would dare say it's an honorable mention uh, for me um, this year. So it's a movie I like a lot. So we're going to go to Dustin. Um, Alex is still here. Hi, Alex. Hey, Seb. Okay. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be real straight with you, listener. I'm a film pleb, and I'm, I'm going to own it, and I'm going to make be proud of it. And If you don't speak internet, that's plebeian. Yeah, so I just haven't experienced enough film, and certainly enough film, to make a 2014 watch list. I'm just getting caught up, I feel like, on things I should have watched when I was younger. Um, so basically what I'm doing is I'm taking everyone's watch list and um, not their watch list, their rating picks for 2014. I'm putting them in my letterbox watch list so that I will get to them because obviously I trust all of these silly men's opinions. Um, silly men's, sorry. That no, that's so fine. Weird. That's I, fine. I trust all these guys' opinions a lot. And um, so I'm, I will give you some movies that I like maybe at the end. So they're my honorable mention, but not necessarily my top five. So. Well, thank you very much for that bit of information, Alex. And I'm sorry in advance for the movies that I may be imposing on you. Well, Dustin, what's the first film you're going to impose on Alex? We Are the Best, which actually, oh, yeah. which actually brings to mind yet another of the honorable mentions of the year. This is a Swedish film. It's about a 13-year-old girl and her 13-year-old friend and her 14-year-old other friend and their desire to found a punk band. They're trying so hard to be real and authentic and legit. There is uh, navigating some of their relationships of uh, just, uh, you know, teenage, uh, I liked him first, but you saw him first, mm -hmm. and those sort of things. Cute. And also just growing up, it, 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 and really this this movie is makes it the Boyhood honorable mention. Boyhood didn't make my top five. We may be hearing about it a little bit later. But it does similar things that Boyhood is doing, except for it's not tied up in the uh, sort of the production of it, you know, the, the one character, uh, six years of their life or eight years of their life. Twelve. Twelve years, however long. And I find I find Boyhood to be a cinematic achievement, but I find it to be a less interesting reflection on um, adolescence and growing up than We Are the Best. I think there's something more authentic there in it. And so I really like Boyhood a lot. I'm not trying to poo-poo it at all. But I think We Are the Best is the better film of the two, even though it doesn't sort of have the cinematic achievement of 12 years and getting those actors back and those sort of things. So loved it a lot. It's streaming on Netflix. Uh, watch it and watch it. Now, I think Netflix might say it's 2013, but the actual U.S. release uh, theatrically was 2014. Mm -hmm. So. It's a recommend from me. Well, moving right along, we'll go to number four. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what's the number four film of 2014? I've got a tie at number four, and it is a Tom Hardy double feature. Uh, it's Locke and The Drop. One actor, two different characters, two very different performances. Of two very good movies, especially Locke, uh, which just... It takes a certain kind of actor and director to make a one-room, one-actor film. And Locke does it very well. That was uh, my number eight, actually. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Locke, Arthur. That performance is is really quite something. Yeah, Tom Hardy is an actor, and he is very, very good. And The Drop is also very good. It's a crime thriller. We've seen them all. But his acting and the characters that we've seen here, uh, between him and Numi Repot, um, it's, it's a very good film. And so I'm going to put those here 
uh, to check those out at number four. People talk a lot about Tom Hardy's uh, physicality, and, and Locke is kind of interesting because he's not really allowed to be that physical, yeah. and yet is still doing some a very a lot of physical acting. Yeah, you know, rolling up his sleeves, and he's got a cold, so yeah. wiping. Yeah, it's just, and like his sleeves just keep getting rolled further and further up. Like, yeah. He's like, okay, got to dig in and work now. Man, I like. I'm glad you. That was a major top five because yeah. it was definitely floating around in that midsection of my list for quite a while. I hadn't seen either film, but I love me some Tom Hardy, so I am up and interested in all of that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what's the number four film of 2014? My number, my number four film of 2014 is Nightcrawler. Um, what the the Tony one, the, Dan Gilroy's uh, directorial debut, one of the Gilroy brothers, who knows? Um, but that's not why it's on here. Um, it's on here because of Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Because man, that performance just blew my face off. Um, there is a lot of injustices going on at, in the Oscar nominations, um, two of which being an actor. Um, well, I'll just say it. My uh, number seven pick, Selma, David Oyelowo's amazing, uh, nuanced, and uh, at times understated uh, turn as uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and also the original creation that is this weird coyote man that is Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler, just yes. this bug-eyed, predatory gung-ho, American dream-loving sociopath. Uh, and that's... The, a lot's been said about this film's what it has to say about, you know, media and the, the desire for, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. I, th- what this film's really about is this nonsense, can-do attitude of the American dream of pull yourself by your bootstraps and if you just have a goal and you believe in yourself, you can achieve. Well, Jake Gyllenhaal does believe in himself and does not like other people very much. And he is going to achieve... Um, at any means necessary, and it's a really, really great performance and well shot, well edited, all of you know technical things. But for me, there are better films on my list that aren't as highly ranked because I, at the end of the day, I I often put the film that sticks with me more, mm-hmm. more highly, or the film that I think is more important. And Nightcrawler, I couldn't shake. Uh, it just heaved me out. It was just ugh. I couldn't stop thinking about it um, days after watching it and thinking about Gyllenhaal's just his eyes. Uh, in that film, so Nightcrawler's my number four pick. Dustin, I would I would say this much about Nightcrawler is that it definitely was something I would consider for my top ten. It's it's a movie that I really liked a lot, so I'd like that pick a lot for my number four film. And this is hard because they start getting very very close mm-hmm. at this point. Same here. And so I, I'm still like making up my mind as we speak, but I'm going to go with Under the Skin for number four. An honorable mention for me. And uh, as Scarlett Johansson's performance is amazing. Yeah. I think it's this amazing commentary on how um, distanced and alienated we become in society using an alien to describe alienation okay i've heard really mixed things about this film yes. you're probably talking to dumb people because it's not for everybody i mean you have to what do we always say it's a pro film watchers movie only yeah yeah it's, it lends itself more to the art house style than it does the classical hollywood style and i think that throws people it's very much an art house film yeah it's not, not it's not going to spoon feed you. it's not going to explain everything to you right i just I yeah, I just have heard f- smart people say that they didn't like this movie, and so that kind of makes me go eh. I, I mean, honestly, I mean, this is number four as of right now. It could have as easily been my number one movie of the year. I like it that much. I don't. Okay. Lo- it's an honorable mention for me. I don't like love the experience of watching it. Uh, I think it's okay, uh, but it is very good, and I think everyone should watch it. You shouldn't just be like, oh, that sounds too arty for me. And yeah, pro film watchers, whatever. You should watch it because there's a lot going on, and if you like. 
under the skin, I think it's going to open a lot of doors for you in terms of non-traditional mm-hmm. films. Would you agree with that, Dustin? Absolutely, I would. I think it's a good gateway drug into mm-hmm. non-traditional film. It's yeah. not all that non-traditional, really, no. in the long run. But um, soundtrack is brilliant. Johansson's performance, again, is fantastic. There is a cruelty and also a kindness um, mm-hmm. at both um, tensions being played at mm-hmm. throughout the film. And it's just it's worth your time. I love it. It falls apart for me after that that first half. Um, I'm really much more interested in the first half of the film. Um, the second half, I, I kind of I'm still thinking about. So, but it is definitely an honorable mention for me. I gave a very strong consideration. All righty. Well, let's move right along. Round to number three, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What's the number three film of 2014? The number three film on my top five list is top five. Good pick. Uh, written directed, Mr. Chris Rock. This kind of career resurgence, taking himself more serious, I think it's very reflective of his uh, real-life persona, a man who has kind of struggled with making just commercial, money-making films, especially with Mr. Adam Sandler. And so for him to kind of come in with his serious auteur style of work, he uh, does a very good job here. Um, The cast is great. Him and Rosario Dawson are just wonderful, great chemistry. A lot lot of funny moments. Cedric the Entertainer, a great great list of cameos and surprise uh, appearances and it's just a lot of fun and i think the best way to describe this is as a, the black manhattan mm-hmm. and there's a lot of that same woody allen technique going on here and i think chris rock just kind of arrives at a new level uh, in his career here and so that's my number three it's not a film i've seen but i want to it's very good oh uh, my gosh i'm just looking at this cast and i'm just floored <laughs> it's, a good movie. it's it's, it's a really top five Huh? Yes, for top five. That's I'm just like, good. no kidding, huh? It's probably, it's definitely like my top 25. If, yeah. I, if I were to expand the list that far, I liked it quite a bit. Not as much as you did, but I definitely really enjoyed it a lot. Excellent. Well, Dalton Stewart, what's the number three film of 2014 in your opinion? Uh, my number three is probably not surprising to anyone that it's in my top ten, um, is the David Fincher film Gone Girl. I have to say. You're causing us all trouble. That inter- if, if I had a top five that actually meant anything because of the amount of few current 2014 movies I've seen, um, Gone Girl would be near, in the, the midst of that top five, at least maybe maybe two or three. I, I don't want to give it that number one because I do see some some flaws with it. Um, but I did really... That was, like Dalton said, the movies that stick with you, they deserve that top five spot. And it, I mean, I was thinking about that for a week yeah. after. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why it is so high on this list. As much like Nightcrawler, it invaded me in a way that I did not like. Um, which yes, is, I did not like the way it invaded me either. <laughs> um, and I'm just going like, to read my letterbox review um, of Gone Girl. Uh, Men suck, women suck, marriage sucks, family sucks, the criminal justice system sucks, the media sucks, America sucks, and you suck. That's that, Gone that, Girl. TLDR, yes. That's that accurate. Yeah, uh, it, it takes the satire of Fight Club, the mystery of Seven, the character building and deep themes of Zodiac and social networks, ambiguity and deconstruction of the American dream, and rolls it into one subversive package. Yeah, Fincher taps into his inner Von Trier here. Yeah, it is. This film does not like you at all. No. Yeah. No. A lot has been made, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit on the show, about the claims of misogyny uh, for this film. I think it's very much, it's not a misogynistic film, it's a misanthropic film. um, And makes you really think about how how much can you really ever trust another person um, because you only have what they're telling you um, to, to take. Yeah, I I heard that some that the adaptation was fairly close except that like one thing that just kind of baffled me is apparently his his character's name escapes me, but you know who I'm talking about. Um he 
in the shed where all the stuff is hidden. Yeah. Um, he actually had like a, he had like this really sketchy, scary porn. Like he would, that he was hiding. I haven't read the novel myself, but like Whoa. really like hmm. borderline, like mutilative, like porn, like weird stuff. Ew. So I don't know why that was chosen to be removed. Cause that seems like that would put an equally dark view of him too. And there's not enough on, like, it seems like it's just, like, taking a dump on her, which she does scary, awful things, but... Um, I, really, I, f- I feel like what I've heard about the novel Gone Girl is there is much more of a question of whether or not Ben Affleck's character might have killed his wife. And I feel like there is that question very early in the film Gone Girl, um, but more than being a questionable person, he's just kind of an asshole. He's just kind of a schlubby dick. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a... He's, we never think, man, this guy's a monster. He's just kind of a piece of shit. And we yeah. only think that of her. Yeah, which really like sent my hair like hackles up in a bad way. It's like we only ever get, oh my gosh, this woman could be a psychopath about her, whereas the police police are actually investigating him as a suspect, and Mm -hmm. we don't get the feel like, oh, he could have actually done that Mm -hmm. at all. Well, I think we do though, just not for very long. Yeah, like maybe ten minutes. They (laughs) flirt with it, but they don't court it. Yeah. Uh, Dustin, what is your number three pick for 2014? I'm going to go with a little Australian film, The Babadook. Duke. Called Duke. it, called it, called it. And, uh, you know, it, it, now again, easily could have been number one. I'm saying number three right now. But uh, there's a knock, knock, knock. It's The Babadook. Duke. Duke. If it's in a word or it's in a look. Yeah, and it's it's massively scary. It is uh, massively sort of uh, hesitating between the supernatural and the natural in its explanations. Mm-hmm. And it is um, – so it's fantastic in sort of the technical sense of the fantastic. And uh, just this woman losing her ever-loving mind uh, while these things are going on. And it's a very interesting story about mothers and sons, about single parenting, and also uh, about the loss of, uh, of of a husband. Well, just loss in general. And really how, grief. Yeah, and how it a... haunts one. Yeah, and so it's it's really good. Uh, maybe I mean it, it's not only did a woman direct the best horror film of uh, the last year. Uh, this was said by the faculty of horror, and I totally agree. I think a woman may have directed the best horror film in the last ten years. It is that good. I it's, love it a lot. Yeah, horror films are kind of taken out to be their own thing, and and the thing that's really great about the Babadook is it's not just a good horror. It is a good film that happens to be frightening. Yes. Um, it's a very strong film. It's probably my top 25. Um, have you watched it again since your initial watching? I'm assuming you have because that's kind of who you are. No, I have not. Do it again. Um, I didn't like it as much the, the second viewing for some reason. It, it mm-hmm. was less impactful for me, and I don't know why, and I need to think about that because uh, I just watched it again last night. Um, for the, you know, I watched it, just saw it for the first time probably a month ago or so, and I just watched it again uh, last this last evening. And yeah, it was less impactful for me. Um, I still like it a great deal, but I need to think about it a little bit more. Um, but it is a very good pick, Dustin, and I, I like that film a great deal. The Essie Davis, oh my God, she's amazing. She did, yeah, great performance, yeah. Super good. Well, thank you very much, guys. Now we move on into uh, the upper echelons. We're going now to number two. What is the second best film of the year, Mr. Arthur Gordon, in your opinion? I'm going to go with Gone Girl. I think... It's a phenomenal film. Uh, it was a movie I was super excited to see, and I finally got around to watching it. Uh, strong performances all around. Uh, Dalton said this movie hates you. That's fair. Mm-hmm. David Fincher probably hates you as well. I think that's valid. However, I don't know that there is a living director that can build tension and suspense as well as David Fincher mm-hmm. uh, because he can take you inside a well-lit room and make it feel as claustrophobic and horrifying as a 
dungeon filled with torture items. He's that good. We see it in Zodiac. We obviously see it with Seven and his earlier work, and he just he's a master of of tension and suspense. Well, I'd say that's a, you actually have that comparison in his work because there actually is a dungeon filled with torture implements in um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo at the end. Yeah. Um, and the living room of the Dunn household is far more frightening than that. Um, when we get first get to that crime scene, I mean, it is just yeah, ugh, it just feels bad yeah. from start to finish. There are some terrifying moments in, in Gone Girl, especially when and there's just people walking into rooms and mm-hmm. nothing happens, but Fincher builds tension. Yeah, man. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that number two pick, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what's the second best film of 2014? My, my number two of 2014 is Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Now, I, Dustin says he said he didn't want to poo-poo the film. I think there is some poo-pooing going on of Boyhood now that now that um, the mainstream is giving it love, now that it's got Oscar nominations. Now, the love for it's been dialed back a little bit um, from, from the people that do these kinds of lists. Um, and, and I think that's stupid. Um, yes, it is a, a big deal, a big part of why it's so notable is the achievement. But the achievement is amazing. Mm-hmm. The fact that it worked at all is astonishing. The fact that there's also a good film in there is even more astonishing um, because it is a very good film and it's a very quiet film and it's a very soft-spoken film and it doesn't. nobody gets cancer, nobody gets in a car wreck, no one gets molested. There aren't any really gigantic life uh, altering traumatic events. There is a sequence probably about the second quarter of the film uh, that, that that is fairly traumatic and, and fairly violent. Um, but it just kind of ends and life goes on. I'm going to make an ugly comparison, so I want you to stay with me so I can get through it. Okay. I, I, I think the reason why um, Boyhood is so good and part of the – is that achievement level um, versus you know what it is as a story – uh, to me personally, is is that it, it reminds me a lot of James Cameron's Titanic in that it is an achievement cinematically mm-hmm. to put together that film. The story itself, though, mm-hmm. uh, okay, it, it's an excellent character study. I mean, we all there's no suspension of disbelief or there's no sort of uh, any, any suspense at all because we know the boat sinks, mm-hmm. right, with Titanic. But it's a really good study of, of a character, right? we got Rose and her, and her journey, mm-hmm. and I find that to be interesting. I think in the same way, uh, it's a really good, interesting study of a character, mm-hmm. what, what we have with Mason, but nothing really all that fantastic, nothing all that groundbreaking as far as narrative goes. It's good. No, there it's, isn't. It's not bad. It's, no. it's good, but the achievement is sort of what elevates it. And then that, for me, doesn't do as much. It would make my top ten, I think, easily, but it, it just didn't break into my top five because I don't find it all that interesting narratively. Well, I think the, this, you know, your mileage may vary. I think it's just a matter of taste because mm-hmm. you could say the same about uh, Linklater's uh, before films, which have, are kind of the accidental boyhood. You know, he didn't set out to keep checking back in with these characters every, you know, nine, ten years. Um, and nothing happens in those films. It's just two people talking about their relationship and talking about everything. Um, and I find those films completely engrossing and moving and just, like, world-altering. Um, and likewise, Boyhood is just, you know, it's just following a little kid, becoming a man, and, uh, you know, with blemishes and all. Um, he gets all douchey and pontificaty when he turns 16, and that's basically where we leave him in college being even more pontificaty. Um, because that's what we're all like. 
And that's the thing that I think is so strong about Boyhood is that it is both universal and specific. I'll take two of your three adjectives from earlier. It is engrossing and it is interesting, but for me personally, it's just not world changing. Fair enough, man. So that's I mean, that, so I'm, I'm I'm nearly there with you. So I don't want to be in that sort of category of people who I don't are, think you are, and I'm sure know, it's in your top ten if you were to expand it would your be. list. At yeah. totally would be. And I just I want to just kind of get up on a soapbox and defend it real quick because I have. There does seem to be a little tiny bit of a backlash, not very yeah. severe. I think most people are still very favorable of Boyhood. They're just kind of taking the piss out of it because it's like, well, you know, whatever, it's yeah, 12 that's years. A- that's the only reason anybody cares about it. And I wouldn't say that much. Yeah. But I would say that definitely moves it further it's than cer- what it is. It's certainly part of it, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, very much. I would say for my number two film, and this is a really hard pick for me, and you're going to see my number two and my number one. There's a great relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with Ida uh, for number two, a Polish film uh, about a nun who finds out that she is, had been, um, she's been an orphan living in the convent her whole life. She's about to take her orders, and she finds out who her real parents are. Her real parents are Jewish. This is the early this 60s. Is, this isn't a spoiler, by the way. Late listener. 50s. No, not at all. It's in the trailer. Yeah late 60s early 50s and she finds out she was Jewish and they were in the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and then she has to wrestle with uh, just that whole trauma she meets her aunt who is not dealing well with the circumstances and the situation she wrestles with her calling Mm -hmm. and her vocation and also finding the graves of her family and uh, it's powerful it's shot in black and white and it is moving and uh, disturbing and wonderful. I'm going to get around to watching it eventually. And it is also currently streaming on the Flicks of Nets. It is. So a not... lot of a lot of these smaller picks are currently streaming. And it's a film I love a lot and could not recommend more. But let's move on now. Drum roll, please. We now move to the number one films of 2014. Arthur Gordon, what was the best movie last year? Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Wait. <laughs> no, it is. That's his list. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm going to go with it. All right, go ahead. You know what? Screw you. Art subjective. Yeah. Uh, I, this is a movie that didn't deserve to be as good as it was, I don't mm. think, and I don't think anybody expected it to be. Uh, but I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great cast. I think it's just so enjoyable. Um Anybody, I think, can enjoy it and have fun with it. I think it's still uh, it's well made. James Gunn does a, a, a great job here, and Chris Pratt just Chris Pratt's Chris I, Pat Pratt could not be more likable yeah, if he tried. I am excited to see what the future holds for Chris Pratt because he has just come into his own over the last couple of years. He can do drama, he can do comedy, he can do just about anything you want, and so I am excited to see what happens, and I'm excited to see uh, what is in the future uh, for him. It's uh, also very beautiful. Yeah, he is no more fat Pratt. He's he is he is he is jacked. in shape. Oh in my! Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he is. It's so funny, especially after starting to watch uh, the last season of Parks and Rec. But yeah, uh, um, you know, I I think this harkens back to a time we get so caught up in prestige films this time of year uh, with everything going on that we kind of forget that in the late seventies, uh, A New Hope had a nomination for Best Picture, and I think we've moved so far away yeah. from. Yeah, no, that's uh, fair recognizing the movies that have critical and commercial success. And so I think there's something to be said to recognize something like guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. I actually, I really appreciate your comments and I really appreciate that pick. I haven't seen guardians yet. It's been in my, I need to watch this forever, you know, since it came out. And I think that's one thing that really intimidated me about making like a top five list. Cause I'm like, I have really crappy tastes. Like, I mean, I don't have a no good taste. No. I don't have good taste in movies. I haven't watched all of these like, Oh, this is my Polish film. And this is my <laughs> translated, oh, oh, you know, remake of I'm a, blah, I, blah, blah, blah. It's I'm Dracula, 1930s, whatever. He, 
he's got I, yeah. I must stop you now. There is no such thing as good taste or bad taste. There's just taste. There's we just each your... have a wheelhouse. And yeah, uh... well, let me. I'll I'll read off the back half of of my top ten list. It's a lot less smart. Um, my number nine is John Wick because it's the best balls out action movie I've seen in probably five years. It just wants to be nothing but an action movie and excels at it. My number ten is like an eight way tie between. Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America 2. Yeah. Captain America 2 could have easily made my list. Yeah. Captain America like 2 is the one I actually give the slot for number 10, but it's kind of a tip of the hat to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Edge of Tomorrow and, yeah. and Interstellar and all these really good blockbusters that came yeah. out this year, because there were a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's go ahead and take a moment to have a PSA. Your top 10, your top 5, that is your list. It's not saying that this is the end-all, be-all list. Everyone should bow before my knowledge of cinema. This is just a fun thing, to a fun mental exercise of these are the films that I thought were the most important to me, the most fun, the most... It's just your list, it's, and it can be structured however you want it to be. We're saying top five, we're sort of saying best, but what we're actually meaning our favorite. Yeah. And it's well, totally personal. I, I wouldn't even go that far, because for me, it's not always what my favorite is. It's the... I, you know, I, I wrestle with what sticks with me, what feels important. Like, all of those yeah. things are factors for me in my list, but at the end of the day, it's my list. Yeah. And no one else's. And yeah, you don't have... Lists are fun, Alex. You'll get there. Be, believe in yourself. We're excited to hear your 2015 best. Films oh yeah, I'll of the actually year. I'll have some more things to contribute. But <laughs> Dalton, what's your number one film? My number one film of 2014 is Whiplash, which I have talked a lot about on this show. Um, man, uh, you know, talking about films that stuck with me, I could not stop thinking about Whiplash, uh, and not just because of the great performances from Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, and it is primarily a two-man show. I mean, there's a lot of other characters in this film, but it's about them, and it's about how they affect each other and about how this uh, really abusive relationship kind of compels and motivates the two of these men. Um, I want to watch it again right now. I can't stop thinking about this movie. I love it so much. Uh, I love the performances. I love what it says. I love how it's shot and how it's structured and just everything about it from top to bottom. I adore this movie. And, you know, Boyhood Very Nearly was my number one um, because of the achievement. and Because, you know, I, I think it's a really an important and special meditation on what it is to be young. Uh, and that's something we can lose as we get older. But Whiplash is just, it's like there will be blood took over Remember the Titans or some other such inspirational sports movie about the coach that pushed everyone to do better. Yeah. What if that coach had been Daniel Plain's view? I mean, that's <laughs> essentially what it is. It's just, you know, some you, you make a deal with the devil yeah. to forsake all things uh, before the altar of perfection and, um, you know, excellence. Um, and, and there's something really jarring and striking about that. And what what is what sacrifice is worth being remembered? Uh, and being the best in your field. Um, and, yeah, that's Whiplash is my number one film in 2014. It is a movie I'm super excited to get to see, and so I can't wait. I can't wait to find out what you think. Yeah, I want to catch it. I've got a friend who's a um, who loves jazz, and mm-hmm. so I'm taking him with me, and it's going to oh, be a good be time. Yeah. So, excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. My number one film. Your number one film. Uh, is related uh, to my own interests, and so it, it, it's the second ecclesiastical uh, film uh, of, of the year, which means to do with the church. Um, and that is Calvary, um, yeah. which is one of the McDonough brothers. It is uh, directed brilliantly. It is shot fantastically. It's performed so well by Brendan Gleeson. 
as a good priest who is going to be killed because some bad priests have done some bad things. I will say very little more. I want to say this. It is an acting tour de force by everyone involved, especially the actress playing uh, Brendan's daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is absolutely brilliant. Everybody is... He's a priest with a daughter? Well, he was a priest who was was married. Man, his wife died, and he went into the priesthood. Gotcha. A great many priests have daughters or sons or Hmm. children of various genders. Yeah, it's it's on my list. It's... uh, going to watch it pretty soon. Uh, it's on my list to catch up with. And it is a meditation on the myth of redemptive violence, and it is suggesting something else and something different um, than what the rest of Hollywood cinema does. In fact, there's not a single Hollywood film in my top five uh, this year. And in fact, if you would don't, con- don't count Great Britain as one country, and Scotland and Ireland as separate places, um, Northern Ireland that is, um, I don't have any two films from the same country, and none of them are American. Correct. And... Uh, that's not on purpose necessarily. Um, Blue Ruin could have easily made uh, because it does some similar things that Cavalry does. I was just thinking about that. I mean, because it definitely thinks a lot about redemptive violence. But I, I do think Calvary is uh, is uh, probably head and shoulders above as a better film. Okay. Not, not not to poo-poo Blue Ruin because I love it. And I, Calvary could have been uh, number four as easily as it was number one. But right now, I think it's probably the best film I saw last year. Well, that was fun. Um, Alex, do you, do you have any films you want to give a shout-out to? Okay, I have shout-out films. I have to give a huge shout-out to the Lego movie. Be- yeah. Because I cannot remember a last the last time a... A, I cried in the theaters, and B, because I cried because of a children's, quote, children's mm-hmm. movie. Because that movie touched me. Like, I was legit... I was walking to the car, and I kept crying because of how, like, oh great i'm tearing up now i'm just like trying to articulate these mm. thoughts but i mean that movie really touched me because legos were such a part of my childhood and then that that ending was just i mean who expected that did you i didn't i just thought no. it would, i mean yeah it kind of was a giant lego commercial but it was the most meaningful you know children's movie i've seen in a very long time yeah um let's see and it's very you, funny you could say it's awesome because <laughs> everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. I was waiting for Arthur on that one. I just he wasn't on the on on his game. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everything's uh, cool. You're part of the team. Everything is awesome. I I saw 22 jumps. Scariest version ever. <laughs> when you're living our dream. <laughs> Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything's cool. Everything. Are we gonna do a Nickelback version of Everything Is Awesome? No, that was Pearl Jam. Uh, okay. And any other '90s rock band after be. Creed? <laughs> okay, we're done. I remember Heath recorded a cover of himself singing "Jesus Loves You" in the style of Creed. <laughs> He's looking at you because you're editing the show. <laughs> ah. It's still a pretty tight show. I mean, there's only like. Okay. Edits okay. Go ahead, Miss Bohannon. Um, another one, another film I was able to catch in the theaters, uh, 22 Jump Street, which we have talked on um, during this show before. A fun movie. I did not expect to have that much fun in what many have, you know, kind of compared to like a kind of a brainless Hollywood. But it, it was it was very, very enjoyable. And I love my buddy cop bromance movies. And um, I think I'm about fresh out. <laughs> I mean, those are the o- the only two that really come to mind. Um, I just didn't get around to the cinema as much as I could have. But I know I'll have some more films for 2015. 
before we get on though, thank you again, Miss Alexander Bohannon, for that. Let's just quickly give a, a few honorable mentions. Dalton, what are yours? Uh, well, I'll just. I had a six through ten. Uh, Only lovers left alive, uh, which is a really good Jim Jarmusch film that you should check out. Uh, Selma, which I mean, at the eleventh hour, got into my top ten because it's that good. Uh, Locke, which I've already mentioned, John Wick, which I've already mentioned, and all those good blockbusters that I've already mentioned. I also want to give some love to Fury, The Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, The Rover, and Wild. Um, other men- honorable mentions of The Guest and Under the Skin have already come up. But I really liked Wild. I um, was kind of surprised it didn't get a lot of attention. Mm. Really liked The Rover um, quite a great deal, and it was in my top ten for quite a while. Uh, and Fury. Um, people, it was you know it was well-received and made money, but I don't think it got very much attention for taking the glamour out of the, quote, good war. So I think that's kind of awesome that it did that. And the only other two films I wanted to mention also were The Rover and uh, Jim Jarmusch's um, uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. Both of which we watched together. Yeah. And really, really good movies. I really like them a lot, so mm-hmm. very, very good. I like it. Um, Arthur, got any honorable mentions you'd like to mention? I would just echo Alex. I'd say uh, Lego Movie and 22 Jump Street are both really strong, and they kind of made my top ten. And so I would say check those out. And then also a little British indie film, check out Frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Okay, uh, Brendan yeah. Gleeson's son, Don Hall I want to catch it. And so look into those. But Fassbender's face is covered. Well, if nothing else, I think this whole conversation that we've just had about these movies, the whole conversation that we had about the interview would show us one thing um, crucially, is that film is more than just uh, wasting time to go to some place with a girl, put your arm around her, and spend $37.5 on popcorn. What it is about is about having a good conversation and reflecting on what it means to be human. So next month, what we're going to begin is our, because it's the month of February and we've never done this, we're going to do romantic films. And so, I thought it was more like, Romantic anti trash. Well, we, romantic and sort of anti trash. Well, we're going to honor what we did last year because, you know, February is the month of Oscars. So we're going to do anti trash, trash. But because it's the month of love, we are going to limit it to films w- with a romantic bent of some kind, but also do fit that anti trash category. And to show how sick and twisted we are, we're going to look at a sick and twisted love story, which is Adam Sandler's and uh, Paul W. Paul. Paul. Not that one. Not that Paul one. W. S. Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. And uh, very I'm really good. excited to revisit that. Good times will be had by all. I'm really, really happy to take a look at it. In the meantime, dear listener, take a look at Punch Drunk Love. Watch anything. Send us your top five or ten list. We'd love to hear it. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time. My number two for 2014 is Richard Linklater's Gone Girl. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs>
I keep looking at my phone, and it's like right in the middle. So filmed over twelve years, Richard Lee Glitter's Gone Girl looks at twelve my... years a slave. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my number two. <laughs> Richard Lee Glitter's Twelve Years a Slave. <laughs> this is my, yeah. My number two pick is Richard Lee Glitter's Twelve Years a Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Please make that an outtake. Uh, oh, I can. Yeah, that's good. 